There are three things that darkness cannot contain. The moon, the stars, and the truth. All three will find their way through the darkness. Truth will often pierce its way through in unexpected ways, at unexpected times, and sometimes through unexpected people. Hello, my name is Lenora Housie, and you're listening to Secrets of the Churched, Revealed to Heal. Welcome to the 10th episode of this podcast. Yes, this is our 10th week of sharing, revealing, and hopefully blessing all of you who have been listening to my journey to truth and freedom. And most importantly, I pray that this podcast has ministered to you in some way and helped you to walk in your truth. And if none of those reasons for listening apply to you, I hope that at the very least, you've gotten enjoyment out of listening to the dramatic movie-like story of my life. A nice distraction, hopefully, from the monotony of this COVID-19 pandemic that we are living through. So with that, let's continue with my story and with the day that I met my birth mother. January 16th, 1989 is a day that will forever be embedded into my memory. That day, my whole life changed, as did the lives of many others. I am amazed at how so many details of that day are still so fresh in my memory. Here I was, years after wondering, imagining, and even fantasizing about how it would be if or when I came face to face with her. What would be the first thing I'd say? What would she say? And what would I learn about why she even gave me up for adoption? Well, let me tell you, none of what I imagined or fantasized about could have prepared me for what I learned that day and in the many days to come. As my birth mother and I stood in that empty hallway looking at one another in absolute amazement, We did not immediately do as you might have expected. We did not hug each other. We didn't embrace. And neither of us cried, at least not in that moment. Looking back now, 30 years later, I think we both may have actually been in shock. So after reading the first few lines of my letter and realizing that I was her daughter, I remember Marion's hands trembling as she dropped the letter to the floor. Then she grabbed my hands, rubbing rubbing them, touching each finger one by one, almost like a, a mother would examine her newborn baby who she was seeing for the first time. That's what it felt like to me. And for Marion, I guess that must have been what it was like for her. She was seeing her baby for the first time. To this day, I mean, to this moment as I speak, I can't imagine how she could have even processed what was happening in that moment. I have tried to put myself in her brain and I I don't know how she even stood upright. Could it be real? Could this really be the baby girl that very few people even knew existed? 
So after standing there for a minute or so with her hands cupped around mine, I recall Marion asking me, are you Rochelle? It was as, as if she needed to hear me say those words, not just read them on paper. Hearing them perhaps would make it real. And when I answered yes, that I was Rochelle, it was then and only at that point that we embraced each other, we held each other. And while I certainly remember being teary-eyed, believe it or not, I, I don't think I actually broke down and cried. And if my memory serves me correctly, neither did she. Again, I think we were both in shock, or at least Marion must have been. Because keep in mind, while I had been planning and preparing for this day for months, if not years, she knew nothing about me or my whereabouts until I showed up at her job in her office on that day. Now, over the years, many people have asked me why I chose to go to her job and not to her house. Well, in case any of you have that same question, here's why. I didn't know who in her life even knew that I existed. Also, keep in mind that the details I've shared with you over the last nine episodes about the circumstances surrounding my birth, who my father is, and all the other things I've learned about my life. Well, on January 16th, 1989, I didn't know any of that. All I knew was who my birth mother was, her name and where she worked. That's it. And clearly, that was enough. As it turned out, my suspicions were correct. No one in Marion's family, not her husband, not her other children, and not even all of her sisters and brothers ever knew she was pregnant with me and certainly didn't know that she was carrying their pastor's child. See, he was the whole family's pastor, not just hers. So had I gone to her house, I would have completely blown the lid off of her 30-year secret. She wasn't ready for that, and quite honestly, that wasn't what I had come to do. So as we stood in that empty hallway, and after we each were able to regain the ability to speak, the questions and the conversation began to flow. Now, I don't recall the specific order of that first conversation, but here are a few things that stand out in my mind. I remember Marion asking me how I was able to find her, but before I could even answer, she added, and somewhat defensively, that she had tried several times over the years to find me. But since the adoption records were sealed, she had no idea if I'd even been adopted, let alone by whom. Once she gave me up at the hospital on June 1st, 1959, the only thing she knew was that I had been placed in the care of Catholic Charities. And all she could do was hope that they would find a permanent home for me. And as you know by now, they did. Well, God did. But honestly speaking, and I promise you that what I'm about to say is not out of bitterness or anger towards my birth mother, but I, I don't think she really ever attempted to find me. 
She may have thought about it and maybe hoped that one day we would miraculously be reunited. But as far as actively pursuing information and trying to find me, well, probably not. How could she have? If she had been trying to find me, she would have at least had to tell her husband that I even existed. And the difference between my efforts to find her and what she said were her efforts to find me is simply this. I wanted to find truth. She wanted to bury it. So going to her job and not to her house was the right move. Because in the course of our very first conversation, Marion told me she confirmed what I suspected, that her husband of some 20 odd years knew nothing about me. She told me that he never even knew that she was pregnant before he met and married her. And she told me on that day, in the first few minutes of our conversation, who my biological father was. She told me his name, his full name. And it was in that instant that I recalled having seen that name somewhere. And I remember that I saw it written on her marriage certificate on the line where the pastor's name goes who performs her wedding. Could that be right? I mean, like, did I hear that name correctly? Was my father actually her pastor? This conversation had taken a sudden turn. So you mean to tell me that the man that you conceived me with performed the marriage ceremony between you and another man? In all of my wildest dreams and imaginations about how I got here and who I came from, what she was telling me that day never entered my mind. So the questions continued. Did my biological father, her pastor, did he know about me? Was he married? Was he still in Pittsburgh? And her answers continued to blow me away. Yes, he knew about me. And in fact, he was at the hospital on the day I was born, according to Marion. And yes, he was married. And in fact, he and his wife had a couple children of his own at the time I was born. I would only find out many years later, just last year to be exact, that one of his children, one of my sisters, was born just a little over a month after I was. Hmm. And no, he was no longer in Pittsburgh, although his wife and family were. And that's a whole nother part of this dramatic journey that you will hear about in the many episodes to come. But now back to that Monday morning, back to that hallway where I learned more about myself in five minutes than I had known my entire life. After I recovered from the shock of learning who my father was and firing questions at Marion as if I were conducting a formal inquisition, I remember Marion starting to ask me questions. She wanted to know where did I grow up and with whom. She could tell by the way I presented myself that I had grown up well. I was well taken care of. I was educated. I was clearly very resourceful, seeing that I had found my way to her. I also remember her commenting that I was tall and lean like my father, like Herb. Now, I'm only five foot three, but she was barely five feet tall. So I guess to her, I was tall. 
But what would probably surprise her the most about me was that I grew up just an hour away from where she lived. For 18 years, I was within her reach until I left to go away to college in Philadelphia. And then there was another bombshell. Marion asked me again what my last name was. And when I said Housie, that dazed look that she had when she first saw me came back again. She said she knew that name. Wait, she knew another Housie? It's not like my last name was Johnson or Smith, you know, a more common African-American surname. It was and still is Housie, H-O-W-Z-E, a very unusual last name, particularly for someone of African-American descent. So here it was, my biological mother, who I was meeting for the first time at 30 years of age, knew a Housie. And knew her very well. So, not only did I grow up close to where she lived and where she worked, Marion unknowingly had a connection to me my entire life. A decades-long friendship with someone who belonged to the same family that raised me. Okay, I know, I know. I hear you all yelling at your phone. Well, yelling at me, I guess, about ending the episode here. Shout out to Tori and Shanna and Dorothy and all the many people who repeatedly tell me the episodes are too short. Well, let me be real honest with you. In addition to wanting to leave you with something to come back for next week, the main reason why these episodes are so short is that, believe it or not, reliving some of this in such a public forum is exhausting. And I don't necessarily mean in a bad way. Like, I'm not leaving a recording session feeling sad or depressed or angry. I'm honestly proud of my story and especially how God so divinely weaved it together as only he could have. But it does take a lot of energy to walk through this drama, otherwise known as my life. And I hope you don't mind that I'd like to walk through it slowly, bit by bit, so I can feel every emotion and so that you can feel those emotions with me as we walk through this journey together. Thank you so much for walking with me. You have been listening to Secrets of the Church, Revealed to Heal, a production of Be Inspired Global Media. If you have been burdened with a church secret and want to be free and healed, please email us at mychurchsecret at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at ChurchSecrets1. Look for new episodes of Secrets of the Church every Friday. And remember, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free.